You're listening to Weird Realities, the destination of choice for those inquisitive minds seeking to find that special place where myth, science, history, and folklore intersect, where we interview authors, podcasters, content creators, and filmmakers to discuss their work and projects, as well as dive deep into the weird things that capture our imaginations and stimulate our minds. Weird Realities is a Nightcaller's production made possible by Lauren Smith Producer, with audio and visual by Beaverhook Productions. Asleep amidst the trees, bats all the swaying in the breeze. But one soul lies anxious, wide awake, fearing all manner of ghouls, hags, and rays. For your door. Welcome. You're listening to the Weird Ink Sessions, a segment of the Weird Realities podcast, the destination of choice for those inquisitive minds seeking to find that special place where myth, science, history, and folklore intersect. Here we interview authors, podcasters, content creators, and filmmakers to discuss their work and projects, as well as deep, <clears throat> excuse me, as well as deep dive into the weird things that capture our imaginations and stimulate our minds. Weird Realities is a Nightcaller's production made possible by Lauren Smith, producer and audiovisual by Beaverhook Productions. Welcome to Weird Inc. Session 10. I'm your host, Jamie Hernandez. Uh, my partner in crime, Hadley Thorne, is unable to be here with us today. But as a special treat, I'm joined by one of our newest Weird Realities team members, horror fiction writer, Scott Baker. Oh, Scott, would you like to tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm Scott Baker, a former CIA agent, 23 years in the agency, retired, spent four years down in Florida. So this uh, this particular podcast is very interesting to me. And I now live up in New Hampshire, right outside of Concord with my family, including uh, two dogs and two cats who think I'm slave and master to them. And I'm a full-time horror writer now, living the dream. Wonderful. I'm Jamie Hernandez. I'm author of the Chronicles of the Undead series. My latest book, Suburban Jungle, came out this past Friday. And I'm also one of the newest team members of Weird Realities. Today, we are interviewing folklorist Mark Muncy and the team behind Eerie Florida, Creepy Florida, and Freaky Florida. So grab your popcorn and put on your tinfoil hat. Things are about to get weird. Welcome, Mark. Hi, how are you all today? Great. Doing good, how are you? Fantabulous, it's great to be here. So always good when you gotta make up a word. What's the weather like in Florida? Uh, we're in our third month of our 11 months of August in the Tampa Bay area, so. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's like 106 with a, well, it's like 90 with a feels like of 106 with the humidity. So, oh God. Yeah. I remember I used to have glasses the minute I'd open the door, they'd all fog up. <laughs> yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, uh, here comes the amazing Claudius, uh, for those that are watching this one. Uh, this is my, uh, scaly cat. Uh, he's, <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, Hi. Are you you're cooled off? You need sun, yeah. So, but he thought he'd say hi. So, oh, and the great thing is, 
he'll eat all the cockroaches that are down there. Exactly. Although some of them are almost as big as he is. So, <laughs> and he still hates the mosquitoes. So <laughs> that's the other thing. Thank you for bringing them by, Carrie. That's my lovely and talented wife, uh, Carrie uh, Schultz, who uh, does all the illustrations for our books. Oh, uh, great. Since all those myths, monsters, and legends won't pose for anything but blurry photos, she brings them to life for us. So, and yeah, those illustrations are incredible. I was looking some of them over, and they're just amazing. She just said thank you very much, and she just did a big heart symbol while she's trying to wrangle the lizard. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, Mark, I had no idea Florida was home to so many eerie legends and mysterious creatures. Yeah, Will you tell us about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, it's it's crazy to me that um, you know I moved down here. I am not a native Floridian like my wife. Uh, I came down in 1980. Um, right, uh, my uh, my father was a big wig with Greyhound. I grew up in the Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia area. I was a Back Hills kid, um, and um, and so I knew all the monsters and legends up there. I knew Mothman. I knew all this stuff growing up. Um, and then we come down here in 1980 because my father, working for Greyhound, uh, came down because of the Skyway Bridge disaster in 1980 that went over Tampa Bay. Uh, this giant bridge collapsed and 23 people died, including a lot of people on this one Greyhound bus that plunged two, you know, almost 200 feet into the water. Um, no one, you know, no survivors. And my dad came down and the thing was, is he actually was there for this terrible thing, but fell in love with the area so moved us down and um and i was a you know young kid then and then i started falling in love with the local lore and legends and uh as i grew up i became a writer um uh, i did mostly ghost writing uh i, I read out of high school and stuff because that was the way you made money in the 80s as a writer which mm -hmm. you did uh, ghost writing uh and then um unless your name was Stephen King or Dean Koontz uh, okay. and then, uh, or Daniel Steele. Uh, and then uh, I got out of that and started running my own haunted house outside of my house. Uh, and uh, we did it for Halloween for charity. And uh, we based it all on local lore and legends. I'm like, why have a werewolf jump out at you when we could have the skunk ape jump out at you? Why have, vampires when we had this notorious Madame Orr of Tampa and I started putting them in there in the haunt and what was funny to me was so many people didn't know the stories didn't know the history didn't know these legends and so we started putting them up on our website so to give you a sense of time scale this would have been a GeoCities website and our email address was an AOL web address so that'll tell you <laughs> internet historians will know uh, the time frame. And we ran that haunted house for nearly 20 years. Um, during that time, I got back into writing towards the end and I was putting these legends on the website and people started coming up to us and saying, oh, hey, that's, um, I saw that on Creepypasta. I saw that on such and such. And we're like, what? And we found out people have been copy pasting our legends and putting them on these you know, Wikipedia style oh. horror pages and not giving us any credit for it. So I was like, all right, well, we've got to do a book. So we did the uh, Hellview Cemetery is what we called our, our haunted house. And it was based on the lost Hillview Cemetery of Tampa Bay because there's all these lost cemeteries in Tampa Bay. And 
the Tales from the Crypt fan in me was like, oh, there's one called Hillview. That's got to be Hellview. And uh, and so that's where it all started, was uh, doing all that. And then when the city finally shut us down, because we had about 10,000 people a weekend in October coming through my backyard uh, for charity, uh, we got a little too big for our bridges. And then suddenly I still had all these stories. And that was when uh, History Press came to me and said, hey, we love how you do some history with your your legends. Would you mind doing a book of this? And uh, I said, well, I've got tons and tons of stories. And they said, okay, well, we just need like this much. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we, we traveled uh, about 5,000 miles, never left the state, went to every location we could think of that would be good for the first book. And um, like I said, Carrie did all the photography and illustrations. I did all the archive diving and finding those old historical documents and everything for everything. And then History Press, now they're a small independent publisher. They're actually one of the largest independent publishers, but they, they're, you, if you ever see their books, they're like the Battle of Alusty, the, you know, the, you know, they're all, you know, the history of Brooksville. You know, they're all these little books that are very niche Mm -hmm. And most of them sell a few hundred copies in their lifetime. Um, ours was their first like mainstream hit that wasn't written by a politician. And um, suddenly they were like, oh, hey, um, you know, we're actually on like a couple bestseller lists with your book. Could you, uh, <laughs> you know, you said you had all those other stories, you know, could you do some sequels? And so we went on more trips. We got a little more time to work on it. We got to do deeper dives and that became our second book, Freaky Florida, uh, which also did really, really well. Uh, and then another year or two passed and we did Creepy Florida last 2019, which is all ghosts because the publisher wanted an all ghost book because they'd had so many requests for it. Um, but we hit the whole thing. We hit cryptids, we hit monsters, mythological and cryptozoological. Uh, we try to hit the folklore behind it. And then we dig into the history of why is this there? Why is it not there? Are you planning a fourth book in the series? Uh, right now, we're actually finishing up. Uh, we're actually out of the state, finally. We're doing Erie Appalachia, uh, wow. which ah. actually because, of, back to my roots from my childhood, and it's actually because I was we were working on another Florida book, this one all about UFOs to kind of tie it in mm -hmm. with the new uh you know pentagon papers and everything that just released um and i kept stumbling upon ties to some florida uh from florida to events that happened in west virginia and kentucky in the 60s and the 50s and the, and the 70s even and it was like oh my goodness these are interrelated so i'm like well i got to do an Erie appalachia book to do that and then i can do the fifth book which ties them all together Okay. And yeah. in the meantime, I'm trying to get back into fiction, which is, you know, between the day job and all this other stuff, it's, it's a little tricky. So that's not, that sounds fascinating though. You know, now that you, you've left Florida and you're using a new location, that's gotta be very exciting. Yeah. It's like, so it's going back to my roots. Uh, we used to spend weekends on a, a family farm up on the West Virginia border of Kentucky. And, um, and I knew all these local legends about that place. And they were always fascinating to me. And uh, and then you find out that every little holler up there has their own monster, has their own legends. And so it became a labor of love to go through, just like down here in Florida, you know, I would go to all these 
places and interview everybody and get as many, go on as many ghost hunts and Sasquatch hunts as I could down here. Um, but for this, I've been able to go back up there and a lot of the folks up there don't want to talk about this stuff, but then they find out you're from the area and you've had experiences and all that. And you're, they realize you're not just trying to, you know, make a buck off of them or make them cra sound crazy and stuff. And I'm like, no, <laughs> let me, I want to hear your story. I'm, I, I don't, I am not, uh, uh, how do we describe it? We're not really, we're, we want to believe just like everybody else, but right. we also approach with a skeptical eye. We've debunked quite a few of these local histories and stuff, but we still put them in the books if they're historically cool. Mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you, know, like, uh, you know, definitely some interesting places. Uh, and so that's what we're doing with this book as well. But it's just, it's a different area. So we're hitting basically the, the heart of Appalachia. So we're doing uh, kind of Southeastern Ohio, um, all, a lot of Kentucky, basically East, uh, Eastern Kentucky, and, um, and then all of West Virginia and a little bit of uh, South Carolina, Tennessee, just that whole little area there. And the publisher's like, that's a big area. And then I showed him the map of Florida that we'd covered. Yeah. And then I twisted it and put it right on the same spot. And it was like, every place we wanted to hit was within that same like play, you know, scale. So I was like, Florida's big. We can handle this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a Tupac question. Shoot. Of all of the, the paranormal, the ghost stories that you've heard pulled together and written about, which is the most eerie, spooky, fascinating, in your opinion? Okay. So, all right, that's part one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, part uh, two is going to be the same question, but for the cryptid, the cryptid side. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I mean, there's some, some scary places that have just super dark history to them um, and have some great ghost stories with them. Uh, I would say the actual place that gives me you know the the chills every time we go is the uh, dozier school for boys up in mm -hmm. mariana florida now this has got you want to talk about dark history this was you know we're starting off with a bang here gang so uh this is uh this is a place that was basically a hundred years of state-sponsored child abuse it was originally the florida industrial school for boys and it was where it was going to be the worst of the worst of the juvenile offenders were going to be sent to this place. It was built to house 100 students. Um, within three years, they had over 500 students, uh, you know, basically inmates uh, in this place. Um, and this was 1910 uh, when it opened. And uh, they were uh, within years the place already had stories of abuse, usually student on other student, uh, because these were terrible kids at first. But then it kept getting bigger and expanded. And eventually they had thousands of kids, you know, a thousand kids in this school that was built for only a few. They kept expanding and uh, more and more buildings were built. And it wasn't until the 1960s when it finally started getting oh my gosh, there's problems here. Uh, and the investigate, and then the governor comes down and investigates and is like, cause it's not too far from Gainesville and Tallahassee. So he goes and investigates and he's like, I don't know why this place isn't closed down, but they don't do anything about it. It stays open until 2011. And kids who survived this school 
talked about all these acts of torture and abuse from the staff and other students. Um, and then the records there are, the kids were put in there for, you know, at first were, you know, kids who killed other kids or raped other kids and did all these terrible things. But then as the years go on, kids were sent there for truancy. Kids were sent there for incorrigibleness, you know, in the fifties. Right? That was, there was a kid sent to this hell on earth for incorrigibleness. What is that? Yeah. And, and the thing is, it was basically the way the state got rid of the kids they didn't want to deal with. It was, most of them didn't have families, didn't have, you know, anything. Um, and then it finally closes down in 2011 for budget reasons. Uh, they finally close it. And uh, that's when they start unearthing the records. Now, um, Professor Kimberly, uh, a doctor at USF in Tampa, led the archaeological expedition up there just to kind of check things out and you know coincide it with the records. And one of the first things that struck her was there's a boot hill there for the kids who died there. And there was a fire there where a few kids died, and a couple faculty members, and some other incidents over the years, but nothing, you know, the records were pretty clean cut. They had 31 graves but only 25 recorded deaths. So who are these ah. other six, right? So they start scanning the ground, doing radar penetration. They find 55 bodies, only 25 recorded deaths. Huh. And that's they start, crazy. and then the kids are saying, oh, that's just one boot hill. There was another boot hill on the other side where they kept the segregated kids. And, you know, back in the early days. And so, but they were never allowed to go over there and scan it. So this became a huge, you know, thing. And then, so we start looking into the records of the place and they, they, uh, Kimberly, and then a few of us, other, you know, in, you know, amateur investigators basically start getting records from the place. And they're so sporadic. I mean, they're, you know, kids are just no longer here. You know, uh, you know, it's presumed escaped. And that's a kid who supposedly is buried in this other town. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wait a minute, that record said that he was escaped, but, and it's turned into this huge investigation. The state's trying to sell the land just to get it destroyed. They don't let anybody on it. Um, we were lucky enough to get in there with uh, uh, a team uh, that was there for historical reasons, but also happened to be amateur ghost hunters. So, I mean, it's one of those, we were, when we wrote about it in Erie, Florida, we wanted to write the ghost stories, but the real history was so much darker. So yes, there's terrible stuff there. Um, there's an organization for kids who survived it uh, called the White House Boys, because there was a building there called the White House. And that was the, the solitary confinement wing. But apparently that was just the room where they brought you in to beat you up and had big industrial fans so nobody could hear you. Um, and, um, and some kids just never made it out of there. So if you go to the whitehouseboys.org, you can just read their stories. It's, it's therapy for these guys, you know, that were, went through that. It's, oh, it's atrocious. So, I mean, I, I can, I can almost understand in the thirties, the forties, the fifties, but they kept up this mindset, this brutality all the way up until the 21st century, 2011, you said? 2011. And just so you know, the Florida School for Girls, which has similar allegations, is still open for business. So Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. 
it's it's insane and uh like i said and we're still just every day is a new story on that one we wrote about this five years ago and just the other uh month a family member finally approved the uh re of a someone who had escaped uh and was and had gotten killed while escaping they sent this coffin to the family to be buried and said you know uh escaped uh killed killed by a train so you know so they buried this coffin uh they didn't do a you know open casket because it was gross killed by a train well they get up there to and you know they finally get permission from a family member of this lost child to dig him up this has been you know this was in the 40s when he had died and this was just two years ago that'll tell you how long he'd been down there um they dig up the body to see if they could find out maybe something else had happened to him. There's nothing in the coffin. It's filled with wood. So they just sent wood in a coffin. Talk about cover. Up. Uh, yeah. That's going to be made into a movie someday. Uh, you know, it, it might, it might, it's, it's terrible. Uh, but, and that, like I said, but that place, definitely the spookiest place I've ever been. And it, not for, Th feeling threatened or anything like that uh, i've been in places where you feel that but this was a place that was just you could hear just feel the sadness and oppression but you could also kind of hear things that you shouldn't be hearing in an abandoned you know open you know open buildings that haven't been in yeah. for 20 you know for 10 years so but that's definitely the creepiest and scariest okay. place we went oh understandable yep What's the most fascinating cryptid? Cryptids? I love cryptids, and Carrie loves them too because she gets to draw the fun monsters. I, I love <laughs> them so much more than the ghost stories because they, you know, you get to have fun with some of these. Now, for the fun ones, it's a toss-up. Um, I I really like Pinky, who's our Florida Nessie. Uh, he's the color of boiled shrimp. Florida loves to name things, so <laughs> uh, you know we you know we're we're not very good at it. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, we have a town that's a port on the Gulf. So we call it Gulf port. You know, it's just, that's how we name things. Uh, this there's, um, pinky, it should be the beast of St. John's or the St. John's river monster or something, you know, some really amazing name. No, it's pinky, uh, because he's bright pink. He's got a giant snail like head and a big, long barrel shaped neck, uh, mm -hmm and is about 30 feet long, supposedly almost sank two steamships in the 1800s, but was sighted all the way up until the 1980s. Um, and people thought it was like an albino manatee or an albino seal, but uh, some of the descriptions are, you know, crazy on that one. So I really like him, but I'm adding a but here because I think my favorite fascinating cryptid is a Sasquatch ghost-like figure in an area just outside of jacksonville this little town called barden they have a monster called the barden booger because florida loves to name things uh, <laughs> i yeah. saw the, the illustration your wife did of that one that was really cool any any a goofball i love him he's like this lazy bigfoot he was spotted it first in the 1800s <laughs> uh, he has a lantern that he carries with him and um this girl's is riding home on her horse and suddenly this giant hairy creature with a lantern is suddenly appears beside the road and almost you know, knocks her off her horse. She panics and tries to scramble away from it. 
and then it just kind of turns around and walks back into the woods and it she sees it disappear like a what we would call a cloaking effect like a predator effect the way it's written yeah. in her account but the lantern still glows for a few more feet before it huh. fades away uh so interesting right and and she's her on her horse so that's about you know eight feet and she was eye level with this thing now years go by and it's seen here and there uh one of my favorites is a sighting from the 1940s where it was sitting by a lake with a fishing rod and uh and and, and it's lantern just kind of sitting there cooling off by a spring uh and one of the a couple of the kids ran home to tell their parents and they went out there and all they found was the the fishing rod and a big lump of where it had matted stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sixties, it became kind of a, a deal again, right about the time of Bigfoot mania sweeping the country, the late sixties, early seventies. And then when in search of came out, Barton Booger was everywhere again. Um, there was a, uh, there's a place there called Bud's groceries and this is like literally a one stoplight town and buds became the x-files center for the barden booger everybody he was sell hunting gear and all this stuff and we got up there and bud has is the store still there uh but bud was retiring and um he sadly passed away uh a couple years ago but he still had his file of all the barden booger clippings of all the newspaper clippings with him and everything there was a family that did a song called the Barden Booger Boogie and they would still <laughs> perform it at parties dressed up as this big gorilla suit, which was hysterical. Um, it just, you talk about a little place embracing a thing, right? It was fun. But yeah, that, that would be my favorite fun cryptid. <laughs> <laughs> now, has he, has either the Barton Booger or Pinky been seen lately? Not recently. Now, what was funny was while we were talking to Bud, he admitted that at one point in the 70s, he had a, you know, they had, they, the, there was recent sightings and the sheriff called him and said, Hey, Bud, whoever you got wearing the costume, tell him to take it off. And Bud <laughs> admitted to us that, yeah, he had done that a couple times uh, in the 70s. But that doesn't explain all the previous sightings right, right. and all that. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, he has not been seen, but in that area, people are seeing a lot of reports of uh, the Florida Dogman, which is very similar to Sasquatch, but meaner and nastier. And I talked to a hunter up there, it, literally two miles from where the Barden Booger sighting was. And he was talking <laughs> that he had been ambushed by one of these that had, he had a deer in the back of his truck. And suddenly he looks out the back and he sees this big furred hand going into his truck trying to grab his deer and he thinks it's a bear so he grabs his gun and steps out and he said literally it looked like a werewolf out of a movie and he froze he he panicked he's like i i'm not afraid to admit i could not take the shot because i was scared and Hmm. uh, and uh that's crazy you know and uh so that's that's the recent sightings up in that area but no Barton Booger. Now, Pinky was last seen in the 80s, and the last reported sighting was somebody saw what they thought was his carcass on the side of the interstate near Samford uh, at the end of the St. John's River in Lake Manistee. Mm-hmm. And um, he was supposedly seen on a bank there. 
And uh, when they reportedly went out to check it the next day, it was gone. Like something had grabbed it and pulled it mm. in. And so we think he might have finally died then. Oh. And he hasn't been seen since. But we still love him in our hearts. <laughs> have you ever personally had a sighting of one of these strange creatures? Of creatures, I got to say, the, the, the closest I had was, again, a, a, a youth thing from up in the West Virginia area, which is why I've always been drawn to this stuff. Um, there was a family legend on my property. And you got to love these hillbilly legends and stuff. Although we, we prefer, yeah, we prefer the term, uh, you know, mountain folk. Uh, but uh, it was uh, this, it was called the bench leg of Goble Ridge. And it's one of those great legends where this peddler uh, fought a guy. Uh, he was being robbed and he fought these guys back with a stick and they killed him. And then to hide the murder, they killed a cow over his body where they buried him and they buried him with the stick. So now there's this small calf-like creature with a misshapen human head and a wooden leg and it sounds like something out of South Park, right? I mean, I grew up with this story and it had this strange glow <laughs> on its head and it's supernatural. It's cryptid. I loved it. And, and I never really gave it much thought. Just, it was just this crazy story that my uncle told, my father told, and all these other people told. Um, and um, one year I'm out there all alone. Uh, we had, the family has this huge trailer on the, on the property. And then about a uh, few hundred yards down into the woods, we had this old Airstream trailer from the 60s that we used to have out there. And I claimed it as my home away from home because this was my mountain hideaway. And I had chased all the snakes and everything out of it and, and, and claimed it. And one night I was I would be out there and I would go watch the stars watching for because it was the you know late 70s and early 80s. It was it was it was Star Wars and Close Encounters. I wanted to see sky and stuff, um, and I kind of you know, and we would tell ghost stories and all that. And then one night, I hear something running through the woods behind us that sounded like a horse. And I'm like, "There's no horse on our property at this point. There's nothing you know like that." And it came up right behind us, and um, and I turned and I saw this glowing form galloping low gallop through the woods no idea what it was was it the bench leg it it, it made sense to me so um that's the closest i've gotten for a cryptid encounter <laughs> i've seen bigfoot prints and some other stuff on some sasquatch hunts uh but never got one in sight yet so that one's pretty fascinating though that that's really something and it's it's what that was what also spurred the new book was like all right I gotta I gotta bring I gotta write about the bench leg at some point. So. <laughs> now a lot of these legends of, of the um, creepy incidents and the cryptids, how many of these go back to the old days when the the Spanish ruled over Florida? Oh, there's there's plenty of those. I mean, you know, that's the beauty of some of these stories is they go ancient, you know, history and yeah. stuff, um, uh, and even pre that um we we were i was talking pre-show you you said you were in gainesville for a few years yeah uh, there's a place right outside of gainesville called devil's mill hopper huh. and uh it got the devil's mill hopper name in the 1800s when the early settlers were coming down here um uh, just after 
Britain had signed it back to us and after Spain had had it and then they gave it to Britain and Britain didn't want it. It Florida is like the place nobody wants because it's <laughs> it's hot, it's full of bugs and people keep shooting arrows at you. Give it away. That was what all the European powers did <laughs> in the early days of Florida, which was, you know, I'm sure the, the natives, you know, at the time were probably not too happy that we all kept coming over. But there's this native legend about this giant pit that is now known as Devil's Millhopper. Um, and what it is, it's a sinkhole on top of another sinkhole. So it goes way down into the ground. And um, uh, yet another way Florida likes to kill people is sinkholes. Uh, but this goes, there's actually, if you go visit it, it's a state park. You hit three different ecosystems as you go down because it's that deep. So like the top is Florida scrubland. And, and then you get a little further down, it's actually kind of like live oak because it's cooler. Hmm. And then down at the bottom is actually tropical rainforest because it's so muggy and everything down at the bottom. Hmm. Now, when they first stumble upon this land in the bottom of this, it's kind of like a La Brea tar pits. Animals would fall down into it and get stuck down in this muck down at the yeah. bottom. So all these weird bones, what they were, were dinosaur bones. So, you know, so when the early settlers come here, they're convinced it's the portal to hell and these are demon bones. So that's why it's the devil's. They knew what a millhopper was. They didn't know what a sinkhole right. was. So it's the devil's oh. millhopper. It's the portal to hell. Now, the Native American legend of the place uh, is the, uh, the the Timucuan Indians. They, um, which no, no none exist anymore because the Europeans killed them all off. Um, but they had this legend that this um, tribal chieftain uh, and his daughter uh were near the area they had a tribe near the area and everybody was wooing the daughter and the chief was being very specific about who could who could marry her and this demon named uh, uh named Hiti decides that he wants her he was a former warrior and a, and you know so he steals her in the night and um then all the warriors get up in arms to go rescue Hiti and Hiti summons a giant alligator to fight them and they have to cut down an oak and use it like a spear to kill this giant alligator and then they finally catch up with Hiti and he's like oh that was just a toy and so he turns into this giant kaiju Godzilla alligator and swallows the you know makes this hole in the ground and that's his mouth open to swallow the warriors as they're falling in uh. and none of the warriors can get to him but the princess grabs the spear of one of her fallen men and kills him and is able to kill him uh, because she can get to him because she's down there with him. So I love that story because the princess saves the day. Beauty uh, killed and, the beast. And kills the beauty kills the beast. <laughs> um, and then the reason that it flows with water now is because that's the tears of her and her father because they lost so many warriors and their tribe was doomed. So there's a story from who knows when, you know, thousands yeah. of years. And it's still passed down, which is- That's a great story. Yeah. Very, very cool. It, it beats the settler's version, which was uh, a farmer settled on the property and uh, the devil, he made a deal with the devil and then reneged on his deal. So it sucked him down. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's been there a lot longer than that. So- <laughs> um, Another, uh, but the, the Spanish days, you know, of course, we've got St. Augustine, which is, you know, was the, the, the oldest city 
in America. Yes. There's tons of wonderful ghost stories about there. That's my daughter's first, her first, one, my youngest daughter's earliest memories. She's 21 now. She was like five at this time. We went out to St. Augustine and uh, we're walking by the, the city gates that used to block the town. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sitting there by the gates. Uh, my wife uh, at the time and my oldest child were over across the way taking a, a tour, uh, a, a ghost tour. And they were at the, the Huguenot cemetery right across the way. And I already knew all the ghost stories of Huguenot. So I was skipping ahead. I, this was early days. So I hadn't really known much of St. Augustine at this point. Um, other than that, it was across the, the state and we had an old castle. Um, and, uh, and we're sitting there and my daughter is playing by the gates and she says, dad, dad, we have to be careful. There's um, Jack is going to be here. We got to go watch out for Jack. And I'm like, what? Who told you that? She said, she said, oh, my friend over there. And I look over and I don't see anybody. And I'm like, okay, so some kid ran off or something. A little bit. Yeah. You know, I start, you know, thinking about it. Well, then the guy comes over to give the tour and, uh, and he's talking about the city gates and that there was a gatekeeper that kept everybody out during the yellow fever. And that's why, you know, there are, who knows really how big Huguenot Cemetery really is because tens of thousands of people died from yellow fever. And this gatekeeper was trying to chase people away. He died and his little daughter stayed on and would tell me for another couple of weeks telling people, don't come in, don't come in, be, be careful, we have yellow fever. And then she died of yellow fever. And her ghost was supposedly still seen oh. around there. And she would frequently talk to children. Hmm. And, um, and now the historian in me goes, wait a minute. They didn't call it yellow fever. They called it yellow Jack. And that was beware Jack. And that's wow. when I started realizing you got to have history with these ghosts or you have no idea what they're talking about. Any, any ghost investigator that didn't have history in it would be like, who's Jack? Who died here named Jack? And it's like, yeah. So, yeah, there's, that was when I was like, okay, I think I've, the, you know, we've got something here. So, and that was the early stages, but to this day, she still remembers talking to the little girl in the gate and she, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That's pretty amazing that that's one of her first memories too. It's super that's solid. Something else. She, you, if you ever talked to her, she's like, that's the one that made her a believer. Certainly <laughs> helped me. <laughs> Switching gears just slightly. Yes. You mentioned earlier about a lot of UFO stories. Oh, yes. To Florida. Yes. And yeah. I've got one that that, it, that we were investigating that actually led us to do more, uh, to led us to Erie Appalachia. Um, uh, and um, I mean, in the first book, Erie, we talk about uh, the uh, Gulf Breeze which is probably the most famous UFO sightings from the 80s uh, where this guy took tons of pictures. Uh, they were pretty much debunked when he moved and they found the models in his uh, attic. <laughs> um, you know, not a smart move guy. He says the government planted the models to discredit him, but you know, you never know. Uh, but, um, but there were still other sightings. There were hundreds of other sightings that he wasn't part of. So we think maybe there was something to that. Um, and there's sightings all over. Uh, there's uh, famous incidences all over the place. Uh, but the one we were looking into was one that had kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. It's from 1967. 
Uh, it was called the Crestview sighting, uh, the Crestview incident. Um, it was basically a bunch of cylinder craft, you know, that we now know are the, the common cigar shape or things like that. Um, and a and a saucer shaped vehicle uh, were seen outside of a school uh, in Crestview, which is down near Miami. It's like an area near Miami. There is a Crestview, Florida that's up in the panel. That's not the same place. This is a Crestview area. Uh, and um, this so these kids, a couple kids see it and a teacher sees it and they don't know what to think about it. And then the next day, everybody's talking about it. What did, what did they see? What did they see? Well, it, they come back and they get close, like super close. They actually, and there's no hiding it this time. Hundreds of witnesses, kids, teachers, everybody. They all go outside to watch this stuff and they all get super close. They touch down in a field, they fly in and out. It's like a show for like an, an hour and then they disappear. And then all the kids are like, what happened? And all the teachers are like, what's going on? Nobody's going to do any schoolwork today. Nobody's going to do anything. And they, <laughs> the military show up and start interviewing everybody and start asking questions to all these students. And one of the students says, well, they were kind of hovering like helicopters. So the newspaper article the next day says, Strange vehicles, helicopters on are only helicopters uh, from nearby Air Force Base. And it's like, uh, these guys know what those helicopters look like. This is definitely, you know, saucer shaped and, you know, what we now call the Tic Tacs. Uh, it was a weather now, balloon. <laughs> yeah, it was a weather balloon or swamp gas. Uh, you know, anyway, this disappears because it's it's debunked it's it's helicopters you know so it's not until like 2010 2011 when facebook is really at its prime and you know we start seeing that trend on travel channel and everything where it's no longer travel but ufos and ghosts and everything and ancient aliens and all this on the history channel there's no history on the history channel anymore uh but yeah <laughs> it's, it's great um and so they start coming out of the woodwork all these were then kids, you know, now, you know, 50s, 60s, you know, in their 50s and 60s are coming out going, we did not just see ghosts. We saw, you know, we did not just see uh, helicopters. We saw crazy yeah. things. And, and like I said, uh, when Erie came out, I got reached out to by a few, uh, you know, people who had witnessed that and wanted to talk about it. And it's amazing. And, and we start researching it and we get down there and I'm talking to one of the witnesses and he's was later interviewed by the government men and uh, that came to his house. And what was cool was he had his dad's little date book and address book from the sixties and he pulled it out and he had the day of, and he had his dad wrote down government guys. And it, and it said um, um, uh, some corporal from the coast guard was like a smith so it's like oh that's going to be real real tough to track down <laughs> there was a captain from the navy who was there and then this third guy that just said government man cold now those of us in the in this field in the the tinfoil hat field we know this name indrid cold is this infamous character known as the grinning man and he appeared just about six months before this incident up in West Virginia. 
and this famous incident where he lands his the spaceship on the side of the road and this guy this traveling salesman gets out and talks to him and there's witnesses that drive by and remember seeing him on the side of the road talking to this man outside this strange cigar craft mm. and he gets some big news it's called Indrid cold as he said the, the man said his name was Indrid cold he never talked to me he just talked in his mind to me and just smiled at me all the time so now i asked this guy i'm like did this guy actually say anything to you do you remember this i know you were a kid this was you know 60 years ago come on you know and he was just like you know i just remember him smiling at me and i'm like oh oh <laughs> so and that's when we're like okay we've got to go look up we got to write about Indrid cold and that brought us into Mothman and that brings us into everything. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So that's where that's so that's the new book. I gotta pick up. I wish I'd known about these, but I would have picked them up while I lived in Florida and then <laughs> visited some of the sites. That's kind of the plan of the books, is they're they're like travel guides to the dark mm -hmm. side of the Sunshine State. They go from <laughs> panhandle across and then kind of zigzag down to the keys. Now, so, do the books like give you directions how to get to these locations? We don't. We don't try to do that too much. But most of the place, any place we put in the book is accessible. There are places like the Dozier School is now no longer accessible. Right. Uh, but you know, but that was five years ago. You could still ask for historical tours and stuff. Um, but um, yeah, and a couple of these places have been bulldozed since we wrote about them, which is sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's Florida, it's 50 years old. That's not history. Tear it down. <laughs> Destroy it. Um, um, but uh, you know, but for the most part, most of these places are still available, and you can pretty much figure out where they are from just the descriptions we give, and you can always oh. Google them. Yeah, so um uh but uh yeah, no, that, that's been part of the fun is is doing that. So you know, making it a travel guide. And what we I love when we do signings and families come up to us with the books and they've dog-eared or put post-its from all the places they've been in it. It makes my heart grow, especially when it's little kids and they've dragged oh. their parents to all these places. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'll, that'll make your heart grow. So. <laughs> Jamie, did you have any questions? Um. I got a little, I'm so engrossed in that story that. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, do you want, do you want another dark tale? Yes. That How would about be one that blends like, like Dozier blends reality with a spooky. All right. Yes. This yes. is one of my favorites. It's called the devil's tree. Uh, it's in, we, we have a lot of devil's stuff in Florida. Devil's mill hopper. We have the devil's chair in Casadega. Uh, that's a place we debunk. Um, historically but it's still kind of yeah it's still cool historically but we debunk it super well it's because it's so hot in florida it's like hell where's the devil's gonna be here he didn't go down to georgia he went up from florida to georgia uh, <laughs> but, uh, um but no uh the devil's tree is in a place called port st Lucie, which is over on the atlantic coast uh just south of jupiter inlet um and uh this um this ties into a 1973 guy named uh gerard john schaefer so if any man in florida has three names he's either one of two things he's either a politician or a serial killer and he was the latter um he was a broward county sheriff's deputy in miami and he would kidnap women two at a time 
and uh, he would take them somewhere and do terrible things to them. Uh, and he would take them to this middle of nowhere place uh, in Port St. Lucie with this old abandoned house that was there that he knew of. And it had this big giant oak tree behind it. And uh, he would chain them to the tree and do terrible things to them. And then he would make them pick which one died first. And then he would do terrible things to them after they were dead. Uh, this is a real sick psychotic. Um, he continued doing this many, many times. Um, he finally lost his job and had to move back in with his mother a little further north. And he got another job as a sheriff's deputy uh, while he was, and while he was living with his mom, he tries to do it again, but now he's in a new area and he, he gets another two girls hitchhiking and he picks them up in his sheriff's car and takes them to this tree and chains them up. Uh, it's not the devil's tree though. It's this new tree and he chains them up and then he gets a call from his new boss saying, Hey, I need you this other place. So he's like, all right, I'll be back for you too. And then he drives off. Well, they escape and they go to the sheriff's office, which was his office, but he wasn't there. <laughs> and, um, and tell him what happened. Now, when he goes back, he sees they've escaped. And so he calls his boss and says, Hey, I did a dumb thing. I, I was trying to scare these hitchhikers. I you know did this <laughs> stupid thing. And, and his boss is not buying it. So they arrest him and on uh, kidnapping charges and uh, false, false imprisonment. And that's all they got him. They couldn't get, stick the kidnapping, but they were able to stick the false imprisonment, um, uh, false arrest. And they, they get him. So, but they got permission to search around, you know, some stuff. They still couldn't find much. But what happens is, is back at the devil's tree, a homeless guy is out picking tin cans and stuff from these old abandoned houses. And he finds the bodies of his last two victims, pieces of them. So he oh, calls wow. them. They get there. They immediately recognize this pattern as what just happened north of there. So they get the warrant. They go investigate his mother's house. And there they find his trophy shoebox with bits you know, from all his previous victims, including teeth that they oh. were able to tie to those two at the tree. Uh, so he proclaims his innocence. He's like, I've been set up. This is, you know, all a scam. Um, gets arrested, gets convicted for those two killings. Then he proceeds to write books. Talk about an author called Serial Fiction, written by uh, a, you know, a, a falsely accused killer. And he, there in this fiction, he literally confesses to 86 murders kind of how I could have done it style. You know, if I had done it, this is how I could have done it. It's disgusting. It's terrible. And so they start realizing, Oh my God, this man is a monster. He's done all these other things. They start looking into it. And then his cellmate kills him, stabs him in the eyes and then stabs him 49 more times. You got to really upset somebody to be stabbed <laughs> that many times, but yeah. couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Um, with potentially 86 victims. He used to pen pal Ted Bundy at the same time. And they would say, you know, how many did you kill? Oh, I, I, I got that beat and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, so that's the real history of the place, right? 
the tree has a legend all its own. Now, they say the only reason he did this was the tree told him to do this. The tree was making him do this. There's tree drips black sap. And then if you collect this sap and use it in your satanic rituals, it will give you extra power. And so people would come to this tree and collect sap from it. And, and people would see people in these cloaks running around in this forest and they start panicking. Uh, so the city decides we're going to cut down this tree. We, this is crazy. We just want to get rid of this history. Uh, so they hire a couple men to go chop down the tree with chainsaws. They hit the tree with the chainsaw and the chainsaw breaks. So they go get their second chainsaw out of their truck. And it stops working after a minute. Being manly men, they decide to head out to the hardware store to go get another chainsaw. As they leave the area, they get in a head-on car collision and both men die. So the legend becomes, well, if you have a piece of that bark and put it in the car of somebody you don't like, (laughs) in a car accident, and you have the ultimate crime that you didn't commit right you know you're, you're, you're pretty clear we know this legend because a lady decided to go do that because she found out her husband was cheating on her and she went and got some bark and went to drive to do it and then she got in a car accident and almost died while she had the bark with her she had the bark in her car yeah <laughs> hadn't thought far enough ahead so so now the legend of this tree is just insane, right? It's almost killed three people, this, this ancient oak. So they poison it, and that doesn't kill it. They, the, the big hole that's dripping the black sap, they fill it with cement, hoping that that will stop it from growing and it will die. No, it grows around it. It absorbs it. So now it has an impenetrable trunk of cement. It's never going <laughs> to uh they finally buy the land. The city buys the land and turns it into a state park, Oak Hammock State Park. And uh, they make it, the paths don't go anywhere near the devil's tree. So, uh, but people know if you go, there's a way to get to it. And you can still find the ruins, you know, the, the foundation of the old house. And the tree is still there. And when we go, it never fails. There's either candle wax on the roots, or you can see where somebody's chipped some pieces. <laughs> Don't bring candles to this. There's lots of little box turtles and wonderful animals that live down there. And we don't want to burn Florida to the ground. We have enough wildfires. Oh, know, but I know some people who I might want to scrape the tree for some <laughs> It's so there's there's a legend with reality that's you know a serial killer and then a cursed tree. I mean, that's how that's only Florida, right? <laughs> yeah, that that's fascinating. Yeah, that one that one is uh, one of those. And again, when you go there, it's so funny. It'll be super hot day and you'll walk right around that corner and see the devil's tree. And then suddenly you'll get a chill. I don't care what what who you are. You'll feel it. And they'll be like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess that's the devil's tree because you cannot <laughs> miss it. There's a few f- false trees that people think are the devil's tree because the path actually goes to those. Uh. But um but if you find the right one, you'll be like, oh, yeah. You know, there is a path that goes past it, but it's off the main path. So, uh, so that one's good. And then, of course, you know, you've always got Robert the doll down in Key West. So, uh, that's probably the most haunted doll. He makes Annabelle look like nothing. 
Um, oh, I know which one you're talking. He's like in a little name sailor's uniform. Sailor's uniform. He's got his little lion with him. Yes. Uh, the kid, uh, Robert Eugene O'Neill, uh, is this artist. He's this kid who gets given this doll. And of course, the Legends Art was made by a voodoo priestess and all that. No, it was it was a catalog doll from Germany. It was a very wealthy family that he came from. It, it, people don't realize at one point, Key West was one of the most wealthy per capita cities in america during the early you know you know late 30s uh before uh, well yeah right after the depression uh but so he had this doll it was like the cabbage patch kids of the day it was, it, it was dressed like him he would take everything with it and then all but in his house all this weird stuff started happening you know and the servants were complaining because he would talk to the doll and the doll would talk back in a different voice and uh you know stuff was breaking and his parents finally tell him, Robert, you got to stop doing this. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to go by my middle name, Eugene, because the doll, he, he wants to go by my name, Robert. And we don't want any more confusion. You know, nowadays we'd have given that kid some Ritalin and we wouldn't have a story. But, uh, <laughs> but instead, you know, he, they went with it. Things got worse. They moved away. They locked Robert in the attic of the house uh, and they would hear him running around and stuff like that. And, the, you know, the poor little boy was sad about it uh they finally moved away and left the doll and uh the house was abandoned for a little while and people would still see the doll looking out the window or would see it on the porch or would see it somewhere else and all this stuff uh finally a lady buys the house and moves in and starts restoring it she opens up the attic and there's the doll she's thrilled she's got like a talking piece right so she brings him downstairs and starts showing him off well it doesn't take long robert starts acting up and more crazy stuff <laughs> goes on um uh she, there's a famous story about a plumber that was working on her house and then suddenly the doll was behind him and he refused to work on the house and then she could never get any more contractors on the house um so finally robert gets donated to a museum um and then original robert eugene moves back to key west and the museum gives him back his doll. So he's all excited. He's like, ah, we're back. Uh, he makes a, so whenever they go anywhere in town, they've got to have a seat for Robert. They've got to have, you know, much, and he had a bed right next to his main bed, much to his wife's chagrin. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Surprise, <laughs> um, he's married. <laughs> yep, he's married. And um, they restore his family home. He wants to make it the artist's house. He wants artists to come here. And he dies before it becomes a museum. And then again, the doll goes back to this other museum. And that's where Robert is now, is in the Fort East Martello Museum. And there are rules when you visit Robert uh, that you have to follow. He's like gremlins. You have to follow these rules <laughs> or bad things happen. Um, I love legends with rules. Those are great too. Um, this one is, is, so if you go visit Robert, you have to be nice to Robert. You have to be kind to Robert. That's why we only say good things about Robert. Um, uh, the second thing is, is you can't take his photo without his permission. If you take his photo without permission, it's bad. You will be cursed and things terrible happen. Now, a lot of people, you know, scoff. It's, it's a doll. What's, you know, what is this? There is literally, they get dozens of letters a day of people asking for Robert's forgiveness because they didn't, pay attention because that's rule three if you do screw up you have to write him a letter to apologize huh. otherwise you are cursed for life and um 
So Robert, if you're listening, we love you and we think you're awesome. Uh, and this is all, we're just warning people to know your rules. Um, so they're behind them. They used to keep the letters on the wall and there were hundreds and they would rotate them out. Yeah. Um, now after hurricane Irma, they had to, they digitized them all because a lot of them got damaged and stuff oh. like that. So, uh, but there he's been written to by three former presidents, uh, wishing him happy birthdays. Uh, you know, <laughs> don't poke the bear, you know, you just, you know, let's yeah. be nice. You, know? wow. um, you can spend a day just reading those letters. Uh, my favorite was, uh, dear sir, Robert, uh, they started with the sir. I thought that was, you know, good, good points. Um, I'm sorry that we made fun of your leather face and called it stupid. Uh, your face, leather is actually very nice for a face and you are quite handsome. Uh, please remove your curse. We get the message. Please fix my eye, my Xbox, and my marriage. <laughs> and I love that that was the order he put them in. So, yeah. <laughs> so how do you know if you have Robert's permission to take the photo? Uh, uh, the story goes that every time you try to take a picture without his permission, it won't come out. It'll something will be wrong with that picture or something unusual. Okay. And a lot of people have had issues, uh, you know, where they take photos and their whole photo album, you know, on their phone is destroyed because they didn't do it right. Oh, the guy talked about he was taking a picture in the next room and there's a mirror and he didn't realize it had reflected Robert. And then he realized that photo, his phone screen just cracked right as he was looking at the photo and he was like, Oh, I'm sorry, Robert. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, we had an incident when we were taking our photos for the book. Uh, we went there and got permission to go visit Robert at night. Uh, so we could be alone with Robert. And, um, but there was also another group with us. So, um, so when we were trying to get the photos of Robert, um, there were people around. So, um, it was like, all right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get what we can. Uh, I asked, so we took some photos, asked permission, and and then uh, we'd gotten some photos during the day, and then, but none of they were there were people in every one of them. So I was like, all right, this is this isn't going to work. And so I asked the tour guide if I could go back in for just a minute and take a, another photo of them, and he said, of course. So I went back in. Well, hi, Robert. One more, and I just took a picture. And I forgot to ask, is it okay if I take one more? And I go oh, back yeah. out, and didn't think anything of it. I looked pretty good on my phone. Um, and, um, we got home and when we dumped those files, that photo is blurry as hell. And we had to go back another, we had to make another oh. trip down to the keys, which is like five hours for us to get the photo that we used in the book. And yeah. we had to ask for permission. And, uh, if you look in the captions for those photos in our book, we even have special captions printed with the permission of Robert the doll, because we asked his permission <laughs> to print the photos. So... But yeah, he's definitely, if you're ever down to Key West, go there. Uh, but when we wrote Creepy Florida, which is all ghost stories, we wanted Robert in it, but we'd already written about him in Erie. But we found out, and what a lot of other people are finding out, is that the artist's house where he was from, that Robert may not have been the original ghost. There was something inhabited Robert because that house is very, very crazy and spooky and scary has a lot of history behind it and it's been a bed and breakfast now that you can go stay in and you can even stay in Robert's room, the attic. Uh, and I bet you there's like uh, a three year wait. To it's, get his it's, room. it's expensive and it's, it's pretty cool. And we got to go in it one night and it was, it was scary. So the paranormal team got a lot of that we were with, got a lot of crazy stuff. 
So I, I, I think maybe there was something there before Robert and Robert picked it up. Like, you know, maybe Gerard John Schaefer picked up the devil's tree. I think that's maybe yeah. picked up something there. So, but the most famous thing about Robert is he's the inspiration for Chucky. It was a guy who heard really? his Robert the doll stories and he wrote child's play based on that. Huh. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. So yeah, fun, fun historical little tidbit there for Hollywood historians. Mm. Jamie, did you have any more questions or should we start wrapping it up? I think we should, yeah, looking at the time here, we should probably start wrapping up. I've really been enjoying all these stories. <laughs> yeah, Ma and Mark, you are a great storyteller. I, I think that's what it started as, is storytelling. And then the, uh, the, the writing them down just kind of came second. So. <laughs> Do you uh? But do you give tours by any chance of any of these places? I have on occasion been asked to do private tours, uh, and I have done those. Uh, I'm 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 a frequent talking head on some on on talk shows now. I've popped up on quite a few, uh, and I always get that. Do I know you from somewhere? And it's like, oh, okay. Well, it could be this, this, or this. Yeah, and all that. And it's it's, it's nice to be big in small circles. Like I'm big with the tinfoil hat crowd. Uh, and it's, <laughs> It's funny, we go to some book signings and it's, and I'm like, these big names are there and then I've got the line and they don't. I'm like, why do I have the line? It's because we're got out amongst the right people, you know, so. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is what it is, so. All right, Jamie, I'll turn it over to you. Sorry, I've, I've hogged the show. Okay, well, thanks so much for being on today. It's been really great talking with you it's um happy to happy to do it and let's see where where can our uh listeners find you where's the best way for them to look you up uh well our stuff's available everywhere because history press puts us all over the place uh uh um if you're in florida you can find us at pretty much every cvs uh cracker barrel and uh and all these weird places, but, um, you know, we're available wherever books are. So we love it if you go through your mom and pop store. Um, but if you go through erieflorida.com, you can see our latest stuff and you can order direct from us and Carrie, my lovely and talented wife illustrator will do a little doodle in it for you. And, uh, and I'll scribble some words of wisdom, uh, yeah, from, from, from Florida words of wisdom anyway. So, so take that okay, with the great. scale there. <laughs> yeah. Sounds wonderful. Thank you. Oh, my um, Scott, if you want to tell people about any current news you have and let everybody know where they can find you. Well, the best place to find me is on my Facebook, my Facebook page, Scott Baker's Demon Hunters. Uh, that's where I post everything about upcoming releases, um, conventions, giveaways, things like that. All my books are available on Amazon. Just look at, uh, just look me up, Scott M. Baker, author. You can get all my books there. Um, very apropos for this podcast, my latest book that just came out uh, about a week ago is The Ghosts of Salem Village. Uh, it's a paranormal romance slash horror story that deals with a evil entity related to the Salem witchcraft trials of 1692. And then I've got another maybe three or four books planned for the rest of the year, but I'll be posting more about those when I finally get them done. 
Okay, great. Um, as for myself, Jamie Hernandez, you can find me in on Facebook, my fan club. It's the Jamie Hernandez fan club. I'm there every day. So if you're looking for me, you can find me there pretty much any day. You can message me. You can also follow my author page on Amazon. I will be on DA Roberts podcast Saturday, July 3rd at 9 p.m. Uh, Central Time. That, that'll be live streamed to Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And I just released the second book in my series, Suburban, excuse me, Suburban Jungle, this past Friday, the 25th. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, and paperback. And in Weird Realities, we have a podcast coming up in July about government cover-ups. So everybody stay tuned for that. <laughs> Scott, I'm sure you'll have a lot to contribute to that one. <laughs> Thanks again, Mark, for being on. Oh, it was my pleasure. pleasure. Thank you all so much. And looking forward to uh, talking with you all again soon. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, um, if you got something out of today's episode and you haven't done it already, please hit the like button. Also, please subscribe to our channel and turn on all notifications so you don't miss any of our monthly three to five uploads. Weird Realities can be found on YouTube, Anchor, and you can find us across social media using Linktree backslash Weird Realities. Thanks again, guys. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Pleasure meeting you. I'll do my old haunted house sign off. See you on the other side. <laughs> That's going to do it, guys. Weird Realities has some great programming coming up, so be sure to like, follow, subscribe, and set your notifications to alert you when we upload new content. Until next time, you can find me on Twitter at Shea underscore Tully. And you can find Hadley at all the usual places, at Hadley Thorne. And you can stay up to date to all of our stuff via Linktree slash Weird Realities. Till next time, stay weird.